asked him, they asked me some questions. They all seem to figure out I'm a pastor. Do I look like a pastor? Oh. I try not to look like a pastor. What's a pastor look like? <laughs> like me, okay. And he, he tells me he's a Muslim Christian. I don't know what, can you explain to me what a Muslim Christian is? And he did. <laughs> so, hey, that's the gospel, isn't it? Sitting down there. I mean, where would you prefer to be on a Friday night apart from feeding the poor? Sitting down with someone who's going to go home and sleep under a bridge somewhere and the smell and all the rest. I tell you, I know where Jesus was on Friday night. He was there. And stuff. But not only do you want to do it, which is strategic here locally, but we also want to change the world for Jesus out there. And the incredible thing is, $100 a month can release someone apostolically in Mozambique to reach thousands. Thousands. So, hey, I'm excited about it. I love it. Okay, all right. Have I come to the right church this morning? <laughs> so, so it's great to have you in church. Change your name, so it's great to have you in church as well. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Turn myself on. We can have the PowerPoint up. It'd be fantastic. Uh, now, there were a couple of things I need to talk about. Um, we've we've uh, said goodbye to Crystal. How long are you going for, Crystal? She's gone. Already, that was quick. <laughs> four, four weeks, five weeks. Wow, that's great. And uh, but one of the things I do need to announce this morning is that uh, David and Shen Humberston have uh, sought the Lord, and they believe it's their time to move on. They've promised as a church, and so um, that's sad. But we are glad in the sense that they're seeking for the new thing that God wants to do with them. They are now. Uh, been with us for six years, I believe, Dave. They've served this church with a great heart and enthusiasm. And we will certainly miss them. But we are very excited because this church, this church has a great history of developing awesome leaders that end up having national and international impact upon the kingdom. I think it's because if you can serve Jesus here, you can serve Jesus anywhere. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just my opinion. But we actually pray that heritage on you, Dave. That you know you can uh, do you know there's Dave Molyneux and Dave Reardon's and there's now going to be another Dave out there and so so we have a ministry of releasing Daves to the world, <laughs> the ministry of Davids and stuff. So that their last Sunday with it will be with us on the third of July, and uh, we'd love to just uh, bless and honour them on that particular day. So prepare for uh, a time when you can uh, bring along some money. It's a great way to honour people. And we will love them uh, for a long time. He tells me I'm his mentor, or mental. I can't remember which, which one that was and stuff, but uh, it's great. And there was something else I needed to say. It was important. <laughs> head work, head work. It'll come. I oh, will do that as well, but uh, we'll do that on the 3rd of July. So you're, you're all good. You're all here. You're happy. Dell's come back from uh, Israel and stuff, had... Uh, yeah, she's been to Israel and back, and that was uh, exciting for her. And uh, where am I? Here I am, over here. All this new technology. Okay, we've been doing this new series on the armor of God. And we are attempting to uh, uh, really get down into the real depth of Scripture, what it understands. So do you want to go deeper this morning? Okay, so we're going to go deeper and we wanted to give you some background to the Bible because without that background, you end up getting, you know, distortion. And a lot of the things that we hear about spiritual warfare, in reality, are uh, actually, uh, you know, most of the stuff you get from Kurong and on Word won't help you in the area. So we're actually going to try and tell you what the Bible says in this area. So if you pull up on my gift, if you pull on the gift, you're going to get stuff, all right? All right. Thank you, Jesus. So next slide. We're going to go fairly quick. So when you come to spiritual warfare, you get these two extremes. So we're just doing a bit of a recap. If you weren't here last week, the week before. And the two extremes are devil too small, devil too big. There are some Christians who put so much emphasis on the devil and his power that, you know, it's just, uh, it's not healthy. I went to a church once, and I'm not lying. I'm not an evangelist. I went to a church once. I'm sitting in church in the front row, 
and a guy comes up to give a testimony, which is, that's nice, he comes up, and his testimony went like this. You know, I never realised how much power the devil had over my life before I came to this church. You know, until I came to this church, I just did not know how many demons I had. You know, I did not know how the devil was strong. I'm thinking, if I'd come to the right church here, seriously, that's not our job, is it, to elevate the power of the devil. So that's, the, that's unhealthy when it's always the devil made me do it, it's this and that. But the other problem is that you get people who don't really think that there's anything like a spiritual warfare, that they actually react as practically atheists. They might be theoretical Christians. Theoretically, I believe in angels. Theoretically, I believe in demons and evil spirits. But practically, I live like they don't exist. So those are the two extremes. You know, the fanatical people that think he's a little red man in a suit to those that are crazies, okay? The world mocks it and ridicules it. And there are Christians who do basically do the same thing. What I wanted to do is also is to give you an idea of the context of Ephesians. Because you take the text away from the context, you end up with the con, don't you? So let's get the text. So next slide, thank you. Doesn't the stage look great? Thanks, Sam and all the people who did it and stuff. They've done an outstanding job. So we want to look at Ephesians as the overall context and where this particularly sits. And we think that's very important because without that, you'll end up not fully understanding. Next slide. And we tried to give you some background to Ephesus, the uh, occult world capital of the world. It was a big place. And I might just get Steve to come tell us about it. He was there last week. So let's give Steve a hand because we missed him. Hi. I'm back. <laughs> He's back. Uh, yeah, well, I just uh, Mike asked me. We were away for four and a half weeks, roaming around Europe and the Greek islands, which was pretty hard to take. But anyway, someone have to do it on a sailing ship, and um, it was great. Um, but Mike asked me what the highlight was of the trip, and quite honestly, with all the things we've seen, we've seen some amazing things. Um, walking down the streets of Ephesus was just awesome. Because that place is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the um, amphitheater there, just in the picture. Mm. That that seats about um, twenty thousand people, <laughs> and they do have still had rock concerts there and and, um, and events there until uh, I think Sting went there and they wrecked the joint. But <laughs> uh, anyway, but the and they judge the size of a town on the size of the amphitheater in the town, and they estimate that it would be would have been at least ten times the, the um, number of people that would fit in the amphitheater. So you're probably looking at 250,000, so it's a quarter of a million people in that town. Mm. And it's just immense. And the, the, the we went into some um, terraced houses, and these are very sophisticated houses. They had running water. They had um, wow. toilets that, that had a sewerage system. You know, this And during the day, because it's quite hot there, um, they would let water out onto the streets. So the main streets had little um, pipes that came out the side and at certain times they just release water to flood the streets, wash the dust away and to cool the place down. Um, and Amazing. Water came in on an, an aquifer from up in the highlands um, into the town so there was just this immense and there's fountains and, you know, but just looking at it, the, Paul was dealing with a very sophisticated group of people there, you know, and you just you see, well, they were and mm. um, they thought they were pretty special, I think, but... Mm. Um, yeah, but now look at it. It's uh, not much left. But uh, there's a lot I could say about it. But it was it was uh, just an, a special time. But it was just awesome to walk through the streets where you knew Paul had been. Yeah. Right? And this is where it's, it really happened, folks. Th- we're not just talking about some story here. It this happened. And the impact that this has had on our world is just immense. So fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Very envious. Fantastic. Thanks for that. And so there is this bigger backdrop, and as we uh, uh, touch more on uh, the book of Ephesus, we'll drill down more into the context, because without the context, you won't understand what's going on. But on top of that, what we try to do is, next slide, thanks, is to give you the context of the gospel of the wider letter of Ephesians, which is there is a progression going on where we begin in Christ as seated in Christ, that All Christianity, the Christian lifestyle, actually comes out of first being seated in Jesus. 
So Christianity is not about do, it's about done. It's not about me working harder, trying. It's not about me getting rid of my sins. It's about accepting what Jesus has done and seating with him. He's seated in heavenly places and we can be seated. So it's about your identity. It's about establishing who are you. Turn to your name and say, who are you? Because what you really believe about who you are will determine what you do. Who you are determines what you do. So we talk about getting your identity right. Then out of identity comes your activity. Then you begin to meant to walk in the truth, work in that revelation of who you are. I'm not actually a sinner. I'm not actually a pagan. I'm not actually someone who has no power, no destiny in my life. I'm actually someone called by the Holy God in heaven. I was actually someone who's purpose before the foundation of the world to rule and to reign with God. I've actually got someone greater in me than he that's in the world. That when you understand who you are, things start to change. If you know who you are, it affects what you do. But if you're told that you're a loser, that you'll never make it, that you're dumb, that you're stupid, that you're worthless and whatever, well, that will affect what you do if you believe it. So you first got to get your identity locked into Jesus. Then out of your identity, you can begin to walk the talk. So your identity then affects your walk, lifestyle, behavior and stuff. So you go sit, then walk, and then we come to the area of uh, warfare, the Bible tells us to stand. Having done everything, stand. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, and having done everything, we are meant to stand. But some Christians want to stand before they're seated. Some Christians want to take on the devil before they have actually worked out, I've got to walk a certain lifestyle. You are crazy if you try and stand against the devil without going through the progression of growth of sitting, walking, and then you can stand. You understand the pathway progression. Without that, you will never succeed. Then I try to make it really simple because it works for me. Next slide of what Paul's on about here. Paul's trying to say is that we need God's power because we will face a variety of well-planned attacks from a supernatural enemy. Let me just give you something that might be useful to you. One third of the miracles that Jesus did was attached to the demonic realm and overcoming the demonic realm. It's useful. You go through and you do the things and stuff. What that means is not everything that happens is of the devil. Some of it's just my stupidity. (laughs) You know, I think Dr. Vowell says, don't ascribe to... uh, the devil, what can be adequately explained by human stupidity. <laughs> Some of it's just the world and the flesh. Remember me, rock, paper, scissors and stuff? But about a third is. So you will be attacked, my friends. There is an enemy out there who does not like you, and he is got a plan for you. It's a well-thought-out strategy to kill, maim, and destroy you. That is the fact. And unless we understand that, we could actually lose. And what Paul's trying to say is, here's power. Here's the answer. Here's armor. This is how you win. But without that, we may not win. You understand? We are told that this is the backdrop, and this is why we need to put on the full armor of God. So you will be attacked. We mentioned, next slide, thank you, is that, you know, 1 Peter 5, verse 5, be self-controlled and alert for your enemy. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to get you to run from the herd because that's when the lion can get you. The only time a lion roars is when he's weak and he's too old to actually catch you by, by sneaking up on you. He wants you to break. And so most people actually uh, fail in spiritual warfare because they refuse to do the standing. The Bible says four times, stand, 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 and Stand. Stand. What are you meant to do when the warfare comes? We are meant to stand. Stand. And you will see victory. But you can only stand if you first sat down and are walking. Then you can stand. So this is just a little bit of a backdrop. Next one, thanks. Just as a recap and stuff. But unfortunately, what many of us do is that we get enrolled in the covenant, whether that's a covenant of marriage or covenant to a business employer, whether it's covenant to a church or it's covenant to a marriage and stuff. We get engaged, but then what happens is that we have conflict, we have the challenge, we have spiritual warfare, 
It's not always personality. It's not always hormones. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. And so, unfortunately, rather than stand, what most people do is they disengage. They run. They move. Instead of pushing through, they leave. My friends, never leave anything until it's resolved. Then you can leave if necessary. That's the will of God. But when you're in the middle of the storm, don't leave. Stand. Don't run away. You know, it's a bit of a boys' movie, Gladiator. I usually fall asleep half of it. I, know the fact. I, like the, I like the good guys to win. I like Maximus, you know, all these muscles and stuff. But there's a scene in the movie Gladiator where they're about to face something coming out of the gates of the Colosseum. The, they are the actual gates of the Colosseum and stuff. And they don't know what's being set up for them. And they could open up those gates and out could charge lions, could charge bulls, could charge wild dogs, could charge gladiators. They don't know what's coming out of the gate. And there all they are there with all their clinking armor and stuff. And uh, Maximus says to his other fellow gladiators, whatever comes out of that gate, let's stand together. You know, friends, the gates of hell are about attacking the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail, but we have to stand together. United we stand, but divided we fall. We have to learn to stand together, which reminds me what I needed to say. Because if you come next Sunday, we're actually doing church very differently. We are having a connect group Sunday where we'll actually have church basically as normal, and I'll preach for 10 minutes. So that's a miracle. We'll preach for 10 minutes, and then we're going to go out into the uh, breakout area. We're going to break out into connect groups. We're going to provide something for newcomers so they're not freaked out by the whole thing of having to sit and talk with real people, because that's what your church is about. Church is sneaking in the back and then going away, and hopefully nobody asks you any questions, you know. So we're going to try and do that. We're going to have donuts and coffee and all that sort of stuff. Make it fun. And we'll just teach them that but at the end of the day, you can only love God and love others by being connected to real people. And we're meant to stand together. Together we're strong, friends. I need you. You need me. Together we complement each other. So the victory is to stand. The Bible says it how many times? You're good. Very good. How many times does the Bible say? Very good. <laughs> Four times. You're right. Next slide. Okay. Welcome to boot camp. Who wants to come to boot camp today? Do you want to get ready to win? Do you want to go to boot camp? You know what happens to boot camp, don't you? People yell at you and they you know, tell you to go harder and they get you to climb over obstacles and you know, they tell you to push through. You know, What's the matter with you, soldier? <laughs> I'm not your mother. <laughs> so, so we're going to go to boot camp today and we're going to talk about the first item of uh, uh, the armor of God today. And we could spend a lot more time on the principalities and the powers. We did a little bit of that last week. And, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book actually has 120 pages just on verse on that particular verse. There's another commentary. It's got 400 pages on principalities and powers. I don't want to spend the rest of our lives there. So we're going to, go, going to skip over that. We touched on a bit last week that there are principalities and powers. And we'll connect it into some other things later on as we move through. Yama. So today, we're going to tell you to belt up. Turn to your neighbor and tell them belt up. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to belt up. Okay, this is the belt of truth. And this is uh, what one would particularly look like. It's a leather belt. It's got the place in which you're carrying your sword. And you've got these little dangly things. Someone got a better word than dangly things? Tassels got these little dangly things. Now, that's the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth is the very first part of the armor that the Roman soldier puts on. Now, when Paul's writing about the armor of God, he probably does not have directly in mind the Roman soldier. He probably has in mind the messianic warrior of the Old Testament as prophesied particularly in Isaiah 11, where it says, may the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, may the spirit of understanding, you know, the sevenfold manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And he will be a, a righteous warrior that will gird himself with righteousness and with truth. So he actually has Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, Jesus in mind. 
But obviously, as he's actually writing this particular letter, he's actually in jail, and probably within a few meters of him, there is a Roman soldier. So he's thinking of the Yahweh, but is picking up things off the Roman soldier at the same time. So the very first point of uh, truth, which you have to, the very first part of the armor that you put on was actually the belt of truth. Verse 14 says, you know, fasten yourselves or gird your loins with the belt of truth. So there's basically three aspects. There's the belt, of tr- there's the belt, there's the truth, and there are the loins. And so what it means, actually I've got mine on today. So I'm, I'll take my belt off, which is a little bit dangerous thing. I've lost a little bit of weight. It's a little bit dangerous. It sh- you should be safe. <laughs> Don't want to get arrested today. You know, so, so. so there we go. But you'd remember that service, won't you? That was the day the pastor dropped his pants in church. So this is my little thing now. I've got my little man pouch here, my little Leatherman, which my wife has now discovered. It's got a very sharp knife on it. So she's now borrowing my Leatherman and stuff. So each day I put on my, my belt, my, my belt and stuff. Now, the, when the Roman soldier would get dressed, he would normally wear something like your bathrobe something like your bathrobe, and he'd come along and put on his belt of truth, and he'd put it on, whoops, backwards, backwards. And the idea was, oh, I need my mummy. I need my mummy. I still need my mummy. You know, turn over, you, you go out with the tags showing on the back of your neck, you know, that sort of thing. Now, the, what they do is, they would put on their belt a bit like this. Now, they put on really tight. Now, I actually don't have a hole there because I'm not that thin anymore. But the idea is they would actually do it up really quite tight. And the reason for that is the same way that a, um, a weightlifter puts on a belt. They, they're doing it up in that way because when you do that really tight, what you're actually doing is you're actually giving incredible support to the base of your back by compressing the abdominal muscles. And so with that, you actually are, as it were, actually girding up the core of your very being. You know, the center of your body is being tightened up. And so then you had your little sword. My little sword's probably a bit too small, but the Roman sword, where's my sword? There's my little sword, okay. Now, if I don't put on my belt of truth, what, what, can you see that something would be very important missing? You don't have your sword. Without your belt, you've got no sword. So it's very important that you put on the belt of truth. So Paul's actually saying, therefore, seeing we have all this opposition coming against you, therefore, stand... By fastening the loins of your truth, the belt of truth and stuff. So um, I'll just hitch things up and uh, we'll move on. So, so the belt of truth. Now, there's a number of things going on. It's the belt of truth. And see these dangly bits, the, um, what do we call them, the tassels. They used to dangle right in front of here. The idea being if someone took a swing at that area of the body, that you had some measure of protection against that. Now, when you think about it, in the ancient world, maybe in the modern world too, but that part of the body is considered to be the area of the body that produces life. Okay? If you lose that, you lose the ability to actually produce life. So this is all part of the imagery that's taking place, and I'll just apply it in a few seconds as to what that actually means. So this is the core of the body. At the core of your body, you're meant to actually strap up truth. When you, um, uh, any basketball players? One basketball player. If you, I, I played basketball once when I was a little kid. And the PT instructor told me it's a non-contact sport. And I thought, oh, I like that because, you know, football's a bit rough. I get punched and black eyes and so So I went out to play this non-contact sport. I couldn't believe. I got elbows. I had people pulling my pants down. I had 
it was the roughest game I've ever played in my life. Is, anybody played basketball? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, they had jumped on me. They, um, but it's all secretive. And the other thing was you had to catch these guys because they were dribbling. Blah, blah, dribble, dribble, dribble. That's not the mouth of the ball. They're dribbling and stuff. And you've got to try and stop them from going. And they'd faint one way and they'd go the other way. And they suckered me every time. Every faint that they gave me, I would go the way that they were pretending to go. But you see, I haven't played a lot of basketball. If I played a lot more and I had a good coach, what he'd tell me to do is don't watch their head, don't watch their feet, don't watch their hands. What you do is you watch their belly button. Because the way that their belly button's pointed is the way they're going to go. Because this is the center of your body. This is your center. This is where you get your balance from. The Roman soldier going for war, often it would be very much face-to-face sort of stuff. And when you're in that sort of a zone, your balance is crucial to you winning. Your ability to be centered in your core, to be strong and to keep balance. But you know where you're going. Now, Paul actually tells us what all this stuff means. He ultimately tells us in 1 Peter chapter well, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, that we are to gird up the loins of our mind. Okay? Say mind. Okay? This is where I'm going to push back on some of what people believe about demons and things. He's saying that we actually have to get this right. We actually have, this is where warfare begins. The very first thing you've got to do if you want to win in warfare is you've got to get this right. You've got to gird it up. Now, when you gird it up, if you're wearing that dressing gown thing and you put on your nice belt, part of what you did at the same time is that you picked up the folds of your nice little toga and you tuck it, you tuck it in, you see? You tuck it in. So instead of you having to run with your toga down, you'd be all tucked up so you could go to war. And so in the ancient world, when you were told to gird up your loins, there was this incredible uh, thing that everybody else would understand. And in modern language, what we're saying is get ready for the fight. You've got to get ready for a battle. The first thing you want to do if you want to win in spiritual warfare is you've got to get ready. And you've got to get your mind ready for it. Don't walk around in some sort of a daze. Don't walk around in some sort of a milieu. Oh, what am I going to do? What's for this? Understand that there's an enemy out there. And right now, he is plotting to destroy your life. He has a plan to get you. He has a plan to take you to hell. And if he can, to take your kids to hell. And to take all the people in the area of influence to hell at the same time. He has a plan. And the Bible says the way that we overconquer that is that we're to stand. And then when we stand, the first thing was that we're meant to belt up with truth, to put truth in on the inside and start operating out of that center of truth. Next slide. Now, in uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, sadly, not everything that gets preached or promoted or published or put on a website is truthful. Is it true? Not every time a pastor takes up an offering, do I dare say this? Am I allowed to say this? Not every time someone takes up an offering, it's biblical. Sometimes they're just ripping money off you. I'm sorry, but that's in the Bible, by the way. Don't let anybody convince you with (laughs) sub-stories, but... uh, let each man decide in his own heart what he wants to give. It's cheerful and stuff. Not everything. So, you know, anointed prayer cloths, you know, little magic prayer cards. You could pick on many things over the years. I've been to Goa. I've, you've probably been to Goa. Did you get to see St. Xavier while you were there? You did, isn't it? St. Xavier, 16th century guy. He actually did some very good things. But there's his mummified body. And they used to open up his mummified body so that the saints could come to get a blessing from the dead mummified body. But around about the 16th century, in the process of people kissing his toes, someone got a little bit too carried away and actually bit off one of his toes. 
I am not telling a story. This is the absolute truth. So now you're not allowed to kiss the body anymore. Now we would say that's a bit funny, that's a bit fun. We wouldn't fall for that. But I wonder what stuff we do fall for, guys. Can I tell you the truth today? wonder what stuff we do for. Look, I just picked this thing off the internet. I could have picked many things. But here's a site you can go to. And this is not an ad, by the way. But this is a site you can go to that you can buy divinely inspired oils. There's an oil there for the boys called Warrior Oil. Inspired of the Holy Spirit with the right sense. Boys, you wear this. Where links fails, this will get you a spiritual chick straight away. Hey, there's one for warrior brides as well. I mean, there's an anointing oil for this and there's an anointing oil for that. You can order your own tailor-made prayer cloth that will actually be specially inspired and have hands laid on and stuff. Now, before we laugh too much, we ought to say, God, help us live in truth, not in fantasy. Is that okay? Is that okay? Need to live in truth. When you come to the armor of God, there is actually a fair amount of Christian magic associated with it. And look, if you do this, I'm not having a go at you because I actually think there's great power in doing outward things that represent inward truth. That's what we do water baptism for. No, there's no power in water, but there's great power in the truth associated with water baptism. You understand what I'm saying here? But there are people today, before they got out of bed today and they went to church, bless them for that, they would literally say, I'm now putting on my helmet, of, my helmet of salvation. I'm now girding up my waist. And they literally go through and put all the armor of God upon them or say some little prayer on that and then actually not know anything about the reality of what they've done. So that's not what I'm actually having a go at. What I'm actually having a go of, unless you actually do the stuff that it's talking about, you're actually setting yourself up as taken on you know, forces that are stronger than what you could ever deal with and you're underprepared. So can we do it the Bible way? So what does it mean to put on the belt of truth? Turn to your neighbor and say, belt up. Okay, so we want to put on the truth. Well, the truth is this. Jesus is the truth. Okay, Jesus is the truth. So when I'm putting on my belt, I need to do more than put on my, my piece of leather here and my leatherman. I actually need to put on Jesus. So this whole idea of putting on the armor of God is equivalent to the idea of putting on Jesus. Paul is simply saying the same thing in a different way. The thing that he said in Ephesians chapter 4 about putting on Jesus is the same thing he's saying about putting on armor. It's not different. It's the same thing. But he's using picture language to help us to get the full message. Okay, so Jesus is the truth, the way. And this is a relational reality. It's not God in your head. It's a God that you know. It's not the God of theology. It's a God who walks and talks with you. It's not the God of the doctrinal statement of the sense of God. It's Jesus, the Word, Emmanuel, the God with us, the one who lives and breathes and animates our very being. It's relational truth. It's I know He's true because He's truthful, He's trustworthy, He's worthy, He's faithful. He never lets me down. This is truth that you walk in. I know my God. And those that Daniel says, those who know their God shall do mighty exploits. It's relational. There is no truth to be had outside of Jesus. You could read every book at Murdoch Theological Library and go to hell. It's not knowledge of the head. You could go to church for 400 years and never know the life that comes. Pilate asked him, what is truth? And Jesus stood right in front of him. He is the truth. Knowing Jesus, living with Jesus, talking to Jesus, having him in just not as the idea in your head, but as a living God incarnate in your life is truth. Then we do need a knowledge of the truth. When we've got to put on this truth, fasten yourselves in your inner core being with truth. Question, is he talking about an objective standard of truth outside of us like the Bible? Or is he talking about the subjective relational working out of that? 
I've been sincere and truthful and not telling lies. Is it about the objective nature or is it about the subjective? Is it about the outward side or about the inward side? Truth is, it's both. You actually do need to know stuff from the Bible. When the devil came to tempt Jesus, how did he respond? He said, it is written. In fact, the underlying text is it stands written. It stands written. It stands written. But unless you know what's written, you can't resist the devil. But if you resist the devil with knowledge, with the word, then he must flee from you. So when he comes and he knocks on your door and there's the bill from Wonderful Synergy that seems to be charging me so much more money than last year. The Synergy bill comes in. It's Synergy, my money, their power. (laughs) That's their Synergy and stuff. You know, how do I respond to that? Do I respond by saying, oh, dear God, I can't pay this? Or do I operate out of the knowledge that God will always provide for me according to his riches in glory? You know, this is what it's about, guys. It comes as temptation. You know, you've got that girl who's not a believer and she suddenly indicates to you that she's interested in you and you think, oh, is it a good idea? It's about what you know. It's about responding. It is written. You do need to know what the Bible says. You do need to know the truth. You do need to know that there's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You do need to know that you're saved through confessing your sins and actually obtaining the gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus. You need to know that today you're full of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, you can be full of the Holy Spirit and so that you can live in power and victory. You do need to know that by His stripes we were healed and that you don't have to... You need to know that God will provide for you, that God's going to pay your bills. You need to know that no matter what you face on the earth, That God is bigger and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You need to know stuff. You do need to know it. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people have perished for lack of knowledge. Jesus defeated the devil by saying it is written. And then we need to live the truth. You can't expect to beat the devil if you live a lie. He's the father of lies. So here's why we've got to actually do the hard work of locating ourselves in Jesus, letting him change us, give us an identity that's born in him so that we now know that we're sons of God and joint heirs with Christ, that we actually get to rule and reign with Jesus. An incredible privilege that he gives us the name of Jesus, that anything that we ask for in his name, according to his will, it will be granted. We get into that space, friends, life's different. It just works so different and stuff. But then we need to live it. I can't. A number of years ago, I used to know the minister who's grown to quite a large church. And I used to notice how, you know, he'd always be getting up in front of his people talking about generosity and how they need to give to the church and, you know, give to the building fund and all these things. But then I'd go out for him for lunch or two. And I noticed this. He never once ever paid for the coffee or offered. Never once ever offered to pay for the meal. In fact, on a couple of occasions, he would actually go buy himself, say, a chocolate bar, just one, and stuff. Now, you know, you, you wouldn't notice things like that, but, you know, I'm, I'm a bit strange. I, I notice things like that. You know that no matter what that man then preaches, there's always something quite lacking because he's not living not living it and you know the man's grown a great church you, you don't stop trying to figure out who it is i'm just telling you a story just stop trying to but i'm just telling you the truth he's grown a great church uh he had some wonderful gifts given to him over the years i mean he has seen literally hundreds of thousands of dollars given to him personally as a minister i've never had that happen to me by the way i'm open but <laughs> so Literally hundreds of thousands of dollars have been given to him. And yet today, he's still basically poor as a result. There wasn't anything that was wrong with the teaching. But underlying it, he never lived it. He never lived it. It matters. If you want to beat the devil, you actually have to live it. 
you do actually have to push. And yes, we will stumble and we will fall and we will fail. But the incredible thing is that we can be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, His mega power, His incredible strength, His strength beyond all limits, this strength of ability and capability, this enormous strength that lifted Him as a dead human being and raised Him up and seated Him with God. And above all things and above all creation is the head of the church. That's the power that's available to you and me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We are trying. Okay. Is that hot? Oh, Lord. I'm not even close. Dear Jesus. We're going. But this is, this is reality, isn't it? As we think, Facebook invitation, textbook, billboard, article, Flickr photo, podcast, personal conversation, newspaper. That's where we're at. But the Bible says if you want to win, you've got to bring this, get it ready. Get it ready for the fight. Thoughts are going to come that's going to try and put you off. Okay, next slide. We'll try and get you home. 1 Peter 1 verse 34. Gird up the loins of your mind. The power of creativity. Remember loins about creativity, creative power in the loins. The creative power exists within your mind. Whatever you put in your mind and you feed, it's going to get bigger and it's going to affect what happens around you. True, absolutely true, but I won't have time. Let's keep on moving on. Okay, putting on the armor of God is putting on the new you. Say new you. Turn to your other name and say new you. This is the fact. Ephesians 4 verse 21, Surely you have heard of him and you were taught in him according in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Where is the truth? In Jesus. You begin to see how these marry up. Do you see it? Okay, the truth is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off, put off the old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So this is equivalent to putting on the belt of truth. At the core of your being, put on Jesus, the relational internal knowledge lived outwardly, deliberately, and courageously creates a new you. Who wants a new you? Who wants a makeover today? If you accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you've got within you the DNA, the programming necessary to totally change your life. You may find that hard to believe, but when I was 16 years of age, I was a terrible, drunken, manic-depressive, violent young man that you would have actually said, you're not welcome into this program, please go home. God has changed me, continues to change me. My praise that will continue to happen. But, you know, God changes people. Any changed people here today? You know, I was this, but Jesus now. You know, that's the power of the gospel. It changes people. I get nervous for those who just come to church and experience no change. Because ultimately it's about change, putting on Jesus. Next slide. Thank you. So pulling down strongholds is an equivalent particular passage we demolish arguments. So when the warfare that we face substantially, my friends, isn't a little black thing that we can't see with a tail suddenly jumping onto you in Northbridge because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time that makes you run off to the nightclub and do drugs. That's, that's, that's not what happens. Most of it comes by you being in a place of need and a thought comes here. A hot arrow sent by the enemy lodges here and if it lodges in the same place over and over again it becomes a high place then it becomes a stronghold there are people here today that no matter what i was to tell them what scriptures i was to show to them they would still believe that they're useless that they're no good that they're failures that they can't break free of sin that they can't be healed that they can't experience blessing that no matter what was said because of a stronghold in the mind. Now that's often fed by activity around them, demonic activity, but it's lodged within our thinking in the mind. And so the Bible's about get ready for the fight for what's in your mind. You've got to let God into your mind. You've got to belt up in your, excuse me, I'm spitting, in your mind. So you tear down arguments. You tear them down. Now this language, is this nice, soft little language? Is this, does this sound like pretty militant? 
This is militantism. So what do we do with an argument in your head that you're no good? Demolish it. What does that mean? Oh, I don't, I don't want to feel that way anymore. No, you're meant to get aggressive with it. You're meant to go to war. You're meant to fight it. When the, when the devil knocks on your door and tells you that you're no good, that you're hopeless, whatever he might tell you, that you can never break through, you're meant to go to war on it. You're meant to be ready. You're meant to have truth around your creative path. You're meant to be balanced so much in the Word of God that you say, I fight that in the name of Jesus. I stand against that in the power of his might. I am not going to let him steal my kids. I'm not going to let him do this. These are fighting words. These are fighting words. You're meant to fight, my friends. Don't roll over and Facebook, I can't get out of bed today. Everything stinks. You're meant to fight it. You're meant to break free. You're meant to determine this is what truth is. The truth is today, this is a day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the truth today, that I look to the hills from whence cometh my help, the God everlasting. This is the truth. He is the glory and the lifter of my head. This is truth. You're meant to tear down high things. Eventually, if you think the same thought for a little while, it'll get to be a high thing. Literally, this is an astronomical term. It comes from demons in the sky. It's what Paul talks about those high things in the heavenly realm. So this is a deliberate throw to the same cultural background of Ephesians 6, 10, 11. When these, these high things begin to come, that's when the thoughts come easily. The thoughts come easily. The thoughts come too easily. Mike, no one ever really will love you. No one will ever really stand by you. You know, high things can build up in your mind. Well, you know what you're meant to do with those things? Be nice to them. Yeah, be good to them. Oh, I'm being, I'm being so naughty today. Look at that time. What are you meant to do with them? Yeah, build them up, hey? You be nice to them. No. You're meant to tear, tear, tear them down. Don't capture every thought. Now, I want you to use your imagination. You got an imagination? I hope so. No accountants here today. You got an imagination? Okay. Oh, Justin, so you... Imagine, capture everything. Now, you've got to think warfare. He's using a warfare picture. How do you capture something? Come here, little thought. Come home. You've been a really bad little thought, telling me I'm no good. Please come, you know. Come over here. I'd like you to come submit to Jesus. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's taking out a big sword, a big hammer, a big whatever, and he's saying... You need to come because I am going to make you submit to Jesus. I'm going to make this thought submit and bow to what Jesus says about me. Because he says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says that I'm more than a conqueror. Oh, yes, he wants to tell me I can't do it, but I can do it. Because I'm going to take it captive and I'm going to make it break. No, I won't. I'm going to take it. So you need to submit it to Christ. You need to punish, punish, stinking thinking, stinking thinking. Oh, and the worst stinking thinking is when it comes from people around who are close to you. Oh, you know, all that always happens, and you know, life's terrible and all the rest of the stuff. Punish it. I mean, this is not meant to be external. This is what we do internally, skirting up of the minds. I'm trying to be very practical. This is what happens. Okay, let's close. Push on, next slide, thank you. So you've got to go from root to fruit. You can never have fruit unless you've got the root of truth. You've got to be, have the truth down there before the truth can be up here. Okay? So you move from having it appropriated in your life, then you move to applying it in your life, then you get it all happening. Next slide, there's much more I could say. So you've got to stand your ground by putting on the sturdy belt of truth. You know, be like uh, Gandalf as the Balrog demon comes out. And says, you know, you shall not pass. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go last slide. Thank you. 
virus detected. I apologise for the copyrighted photo. I didn't know it was copyrighted, so I was on the big screen. Programming, programming, programming. And then you get a virus in. Some of us just need to understand that God wants you to run a clean system. And if you run a clean system, you will have success in your life. I didn't say that you won't have trouble, but you'll have victory in your life. And you'll experience it over and over again if you know how to live in truth. This is the belt of truth. We need to belt up. Let God's truth come in us. Yes, we need that, a sta- that standard where we actually believe and practice, believe and practice, believe and practice, <laughs> believe and practice the Word of God. And as we do that, you're in an incredible place for victory. So, Father, Lord, I thank you. I've gone long today, but I pray that in, Lord, my funny little moves and all that sort of stuff, that, Lord, you've spoken to our heart. Lord, there is actually not magic available to give us the ability to sort of like, you know, in a fantasy world, break out of the battles that we face. And Lord, I apologize that the Church of Jesus Christ has often sold band-aids, Lord, and miracle solutions. And if we just got the right, you know, oil or the right prayer cloth, Lord, that our life would be just victorious. And we've sent people home, Lord, to face the enemy of their souls, Lord, unprepared and ill-equipped. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit today, Lord, that you would deposit something in our hearts of revelation that we'd see, Lord, we can win, Lord. Lord, in fact, you've destined us to win. In fact, you've given us the power. In fact, you've given us a whole wardrobe in our relationship with you, the Son of God, dear Jesus, flesh incarnate amongst us, O God. Lord, you've given us the ability to live in victory. So, Lord, I pray that we would learn, Father, to put on that armor. Lord, not as some sort of a magical, superstitious exercise, but, Lord, we'd know what it is to take truth and live it, Father. That we'd move out of this postmodern world, Lord, where everything's good and everything's cool, and that we're a Christian here, and, Lord, we're a pagan somewhere else. Lord, I pray that we would be fully dressed for battle, ready to do victory, to do exploits in your holy name, to your glory in Jesus' name. Praise you, Jesus. Now, I do apologize. I've gone longer than I intended. Uh, but thank you for coming. We're going to release you now. I'd love us to sing a, a song. Musicians could come up. And uh, there's one there of truth in it. We had a truth one up there. I'd like us to sing that. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we'd love to give you the opportunity. Did I miss something? A bit enthusiastic. <laughs> Dark, black step. I'll try and put my back. If you don't know Jesus Christ, 